Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Dale Walker. I want to welcome you to our leadership podcast. We are looking at how to become leaders that lead like Jesus. I'm excited to have you listening. If you want the notes on this, you can get them at dalewalker.life. There's also a lot of other resources to help you grow in your leadership. Share this with someone if you are blessed. I know you will be. God bless you. Hi, everybody. It's Pastor Dale. Just excited to get here in week six on Leading from the Throne Room. And I want to talk a little bit today about uh, praying with a new covenant instead of an old covenant mindset. Our theme verse has been here in Hebrews 4, uh, 16. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. And I want to kind of highlight that word with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Um, what we have been saying is that if we want to lead like Jesus, we've got to pray like Jesus because that's how he led. Uh, it was through prayer. It was from the throne room that Jesus was able to uh, connect with God and connect people with God towards their purpose. And, and one of the, the key things I want to share today is, is the idea that confidence is so important in how we pray and some of that has to do with whether we have an old testament old covenant mindset or a new covenant mindset you know all religions involve prayer and and yet they couldn't be more different than how prayer is approached if you see prayer as climbing a ladder to god to get his attention that's gonna lead you to think of prayer one way. If you see prayer is based on, you no, know, God climbed the ladder to us, to be with us and in us, it's gonna change in a huge way. Um, what I really desire is to help people see from this book of Hebrews, and that's kind of what we're gonna talk about today. Because the book of Hebrews is the Apostle Paul helping people who were born as Jewish believers and we're trying to understand the difference that Jesus had made. And it was completely different. The, uh, the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, everything changed. And that New Testament way of thinking was key. You see, every effective an, uh, intercessor comes with a complete confidence of themselves that they know that when they pray, they know why they can expect God to really do something. They're not just sort of praying their, their hopeful prayers. They're, they're not just praying, man, maybe God will hear me. They have a confidence that comes from knowing what Jesus did when he made a new covenant with us. And so I wanna just share five shifts that I think are so key to uh, understanding going from an Old Testament mindset to a New Testament uh, mindset. And, and these five truths, are the key to having boldness and confidence and seeing our prayers answered. Number one is we don't have to go to a holy place anymore. Through Christ, we are now in the throne room and the throne room is in us. <laughs> of course, in the old covenant, it was all about the tabernacle or about the temple. And there was this place that you had to go find God. And yet Jesus in the new covenant changes everything. Uh, what did Jesus do? Well, Hebrews tells us that when Jesus died, he, he tore the veil down. He, he tore the, 
space, the, the wall that was between us and God's presence so that God's presence could come and, and be right there with us and be something we lived in and walked in. The reality, the presence of God is inside of me. That is just so huge. You know, I mentioned this, that I think a lot of times when, when people worship, we know what we feel when we worship, but we don't realize where we are when we worship, that we're in the very presence of God and his presence is in us in such an incredible way. We can connect with the Holy Spirit on the inside. You know, again, many people, even when they come to want God to touch their life, they're waiting, God, would you zap me? Would you do something out there? Rather than realizing, Lord, you're with me right now. You're in my presence, in my heart. I can connect with you, Holy Spirit. It's, it's not like I've gotta go find God somewhere. It's like, no, look, he's here. Turn on the faucet. His presence is inside of you. You know, I think it's uh, so powerful to realize uh, in the Old Testament that uh, those only those priests, and especially the high priests, could go into the Holy of Holies. And, and there is kind of interesting what they wore. One of the things is they never wore shoes because they believed they were on holy ground. Uh, just thinking of Moses, you know, the Lord told him to take off his shoes. But when we come to God today, we are always on holy ground. We live in the presence of God. Paul said, Moses, you know, he had a veil, but we can look directly into the glory of God and be changed. We can sense God with us anytime we want. We can sense that we have access right now to the voice of God. You know, part of being in the presence there in that holy place, they had the Urim and the Thummim. Uh, the words mean light and perfection. They were like these dice that they would roll, but it was how to hear from God. But to us, the voice of God is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. He's directing us. He's instructing us. The, the, the direction you need is not 100 miles out there. No, it's the voice within you saying, this is the way that you can walk in it. If we only could sense what is true about us right now, God is so near to us. He's nearer to us than our own breath. He's speaking to us now. He's, he's pouring out his spirit in us because we are on holy ground. Hallelujah. Uh, a second beautiful thing about that is as we realize it, that we begin to have confidence because Jesus is our high priest. Um, we are, are no longer looking to people to represent us before God or someone to stand, as it were, uh, to put a good word into God for us. But in fact, Jesus has become our, our forerunner, Hebrews 6.20 says, it says, where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone as the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He has gone to bat for us. He has gone before the Father. And, and what a powerful thought that when Jesus died on the cross, he literally went into the place of heaven. Now, if you were Jewish, you, you thought of Yom Kippur. You thought of something very vital that had to happen. And that is that once a year, the, uh, the one high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to 
offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people for that year. And, and it was important that the priest be a holy person. He could literally get struck dead if he went in there unworthy. And he offered the blood of a, a bull or a lamb or a goat and, and tried to bring atonement. Of course, that atonement just covered it, the sin, because he'd have to do that every year. Uh, but there was always that kind of suspense. Will the high priest come out from the Holy of Holies? Uh, they actually would tie a rope around his leg because if he wasn't worthy or whatever, they would have to pull him out. He would be dead. And in a very real way, when Jesus died, not only did the veil of the temple rip because he opened the way to God's presence, but he went in before the Father to bring atonement for all of our sins. He, he took his own blood on our behalf. Uh, the word there that Jesus was our forerunner is kind of an interesting word. It, it meant like a, uh, like a tugboat would bring a big ship into dock. Jesus went before, we went on Jesus' coattails. We went in with God. When Jesus was, was crucified, he went before God. It was us that he was standing in place for. He was presenting our case uh, we were being judged, and, and you can be sure the accuser of the brethren was there. You know, I found one of the most important things. If you're ever going to really know God well, you have to know how to overcome the accuser of the brethren. And there that case was there. And I can almost see Jesus offering the case for humanity and the devil saying, look how unworthy they are. Look at how how horrible they are. Maybe you can see yourself there, the, the, the ways the enemy has accused you. They haven't told the truth. They weren't right. They didn't do this right. And then all of a sudden, Jesus offers his own blood. And, uh, and the father says, it's enough. The payment is made. I declare all of those people you're standing for, not guilty, cleansed, washed, forgiven. Isn't it awesome that before we go to the judgment seat someday, our case has already been decided by Jesus Christ. We're not going to have to wonder, will we make it to heaven? No, Jesus in our case was tried and God has declared us justified by simply receiving the atonement that he provided for us on the cross. There's some key parts to the high priest ministry that I just wanna point out because if we're gonna lead from the throne room, the more aware we are of what Jesus, our high priest has done for us, the more bold and confident we'll be. Number one, his ministry was to atone. And as I mentioned, Jesus offered his blood to allow us to stand before God without guilt. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 14, it talks about how how the blood of the goats would fulfill that for one year, but how much more will the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts of death so that we might serve the living God. And I love that, you know, uh, the blood that the high priest would offer. Maybe it covered the legal part of forgiveness, but the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience. Can you imagine what does it mean to have no consciousness of sin? 
to be a person who moves from what I would call sin consciousness to righteous consciousness. Because we know that our hearts, our, our walk with God has been completely established by the blood of Jesus purifying before us, making us holy in God's presence. Secondly, the Bible speaks of Jesus high priest as giving us the confidence of that he understands us, he feels our need and our pain. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, 18, it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every way has been tempted just as we are and yet never committed sin. What, what the writer of Hebrews so beautifully says is, when we come into the throne room of God, it is so powerful for us to be aware that the one who stands for us has himself become a man, has himself entered into all of our sufferings, has felt every temptation we feel. One of the ways we have power and confidence is to know that even as we bring our needs and hurts before him, Jesus says, I get it. I understand. I know what you've been through. I remember uh, hearing the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of you know her story, but uh, she was a quadriplegic and as a young woman had a diving accident. And as she was in the hospital and could not move, she really just wanted to die. And she was crying out to God and said, God, nobody understands uh, this pain, this horror. And Jesus just reminded her, I was paralyzed, Johnny. I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. And she said, in the awareness of that, his presence flooded the deep grief and the deep fear that she was going through and allowed her to come to a place of peace. Our high priest understands. And number three, our high priest has made a way of assurance by establishing a new covenant. Uh, this is so powerful because the Bible teaches us that when, when Jesus came in, he established a new covenant based on a finished work that God had accomplished through Christ. Jesus literally was making a covenant with God on our behalf. You know, in the Old Testament, people would feel right uh, based upon a covenant. And the old covenant was, if you do one, two, three, four, five, then God's gonna do six, seven, eight, nine. The problem was, all through the Old Testament, nobody ever lived up to the covenant. And in the end, there was never security. I don't know if you've ever been before God and said, God, I don't know if I've done enough. Have I prayed enough? Have I been holy enough? Have I been good enough? Well, when Jesus came, he took our place, not only by paying for our sin, but living the life of obedience that we were required to live under the old covenant. Many people know what Jesus did to sacrifice for our sin, but they don't realize what Jesus did by giving us the credit for his obedience. He obeyed God perfectly and completely 
And when we receive Christ, we receive a position before God as if we were as obedient as Jesus had been. Jesus stands in our gap and makes a covenant with God on our behalf so that it's not up to us to fulfill the legal requirements of the law. We come in with the already established certainty that because of what Jesus did, we have assurance that the promises of God are ours in Christ Jesus. I love what 1 Corinthians 1.20 says, all of the promises of God are yes and amen. How? In Christ. Not because we have done enough to deserve them, but because they're a part of an inheritance he purchased and paid for and brought to us. A third part of his intercession is the realization that it's eternal. He will never stop interceding for us. I love what it says in Hebrews 7, 16. He became a priest, not only by the physical requirements belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of an everlasting life. He is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was a priest that appeared to Abraham who had no record that he'd ever been born. And, and this was a type of Jesus. Every priest in the Old Testament would live and die and that would be it. But Jesus, he lives forever. And he lives to stand on our behalf. And literally, the fourth thing, to intercede before us day, for God for us day and night. You know, one of the things that I think is the most powerful thing to know about the Lord is that he is interceding for us right now. In, in the Bible, it says that, that Jesus, it says, who is going to condemn us? It is God who's justified us. This is Romans 8 and 30 to 35. But it says, he is God justifies. Christ is the one who died for us, who is risen, who is right now interceding for us at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, day and night, forever intercedes. You know what is powerful prayer? It's not so much, I'm gonna pray something awesome, but I'm gonna rely on Jesus' prayers for me and for my church. I'm gonna plug into the intercessor of all intercessors. Now, the beauty of this is that we know right now he's praying for us 24-7, he never sleeps but he also prays in us and for us and with us by the Spirit. Paul says he gives us these groanings. He gives us a deep sense of to be stirred in how we're to pray. Sometimes we don't even know what we're praying. We, we pray sighs, we pray grief. And yet in that, Jesus is praying through us the perfect will of God for circumstance. Isn't that beautiful? Sometimes I'll wake up in the night. I won't know what's going on, but I'll just begin to sigh and say, oh Lord, Lord Jesus, Jesus, and literally know that the Spirit is praying the prayers of the Father in me and through me. I love this quote by Jack Graham. Uh, our brother Levy gave me this quote. I love it. He said, the essence of prayer is a loop in which our Heavenly Father, by His Spirit, places His requests and petitions in our hearts, only for us to then offer them back to Him. What begins in heaven, 
returns to heaven via the mysterious power of prayer. In this way, prayer is working not to change our Father's mind. It is instead finding the mind of God and allowing it to be expressed through us. In New Covenant prayer, we are trying to come up with a persuasive argument to God. We are believing that we are praying the prayers that God is giving us, his prayers, and we know that he's going to hear us when we pray that way because he has said he would answer anything we ask in his name. One way to say the prayer in his name is prayers that are authorized by him or directed by him in the spirit. Another great point, I've mentioned this, is that because Jesus as our high priest made a new covenant, we don't come with questions about whether we should receive grace. We come, it says in Hebrews 4.16, to obtain the grace that has already been given to us. At the center of the Holy of Holies, as I mentioned, was, was this mercy seat. And inside of it was the, art, was the, uh, the covenant, the Ten Commandments, the, the conditions based on which we would know or not know uh, whether God would forgive us or accept us. Let me just read this part of Hebrews that I think is so powerful. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, when he talks about the covenant, he says it this way. He says, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is superior to what the Old Testament have in every way because he has made a new covenant that is better and he is the mediator of this covenant. Verse seven, for if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, God would never have made another one, but there was a fault in the first ones. That's why he said in Jeremiah, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make. I will put my laws in their minds and their heart and write them on their, on their minds. I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach each other to know me. They will all just know me from the least to the greatest. I will forgive their wickedness and their sins will be no, remembered no more. Because there's a new covenant, it means the old one is obsolete. Now what this means is, that we stand before God. I, I love the final words of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. Telestai, uh, it means everything that has to be done for this covenant and the promises to be ratified has been fully accomplished. Almost like the papers have all been signed. The agreements have all been made. Jesus has made a new covenant. We stand before God, as I said earlier, washed, clean, redeemed. God guarantees that he will act on our behalf, not because of us, but because of what Jesus did. There's one other part of this new covenant, and that is what it does for our new identity. Uh, this is the most beautiful thing, that now that we're in covenant with God, when God looks at us, he literally sees us in Jesus. I remember one 
a shepherd telling a story about how he had uh, uh, one of the youths had had a baby that uh, died and another one of the youths died and left an orphan, little Lammy. And that Lammy was rejected. Nobody was going to take care of it. And they wanted to get one of the others to cover for it, one of the other uh, youths, but they wouldn't. And then they took the skin of the dead lamb and they covered this other lamby. And it was so interesting when they took that lamby to the mother who had lost her child, her baby lamb, she immediately adopted it as her own, her own child. And I just love that picture because God has covered us with the righteousness of Jesus so that the very affections of Jesus, the very way of looking at Jesus is how he looks at us. His heart is stirred with pleasure, with, with joy when he sees us. One of the, the truths about us is, Romans 8, 17, it says, now because of what Jesus did, we're not orphaned anymore. We are children. We are legitimately adopted. And if we're children, we're heirs, joint heirs with God, joint heirs with Christ, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We are seen by God as his rightful representatives. He sees us in Christ, complete, fully blessed, fully chosen, and fully loved. I tell you, this is so powerful because when we see ourselves uh, in the eyes of God, it changes the way we pray. We don't pray as a beggar, we don't pray, Lord, if it possibly could be your will. Or we don't pray, as I said, a pauper. We pray as a partner because we sense literally the reality of, of God's favor on our life. We are now sons and daughters and God has told us uh, our identity and what he thinks of us. I love the little story that Stephen Furtick told. Uh, he got a a message from the teacher who told him after first grade, one of his sons was in the class and said, you know, you might want to talk to your son. He, he got up and introduced himself as the one who is the smartest and the strongest kid in the whole class. And, and Stephen had to kind of talk to his son and say, uh, Stephen, why don't you go back and say, my father thinks I'm the smartest and the fastest. And I, and I love that, to know that your father thinks of you as the best, as the most precious, as the most valued that you could ever be. And in that, that gives you a boldness. Another part of our identity I just want to mention because I think it's, it's it referred to many times is that now we are in the throne room in Revelations 1, 6 says, because of what Jesus did for us, we have been made both kings and priests to God. We are, we are no longer strangers or fellow citizens. In First Peter says, we're no longer strangers or, or those who are a foreign people. But now we are a kingdom of priests. We are the people of God. We stand righteous and holy in his presence. I wanted to read this verse because uh, it's so beautiful to me and I just love it. It's Hebrews chapter 12. He says, here's the new reality as you come before the Lord right now. In Hebrews chapter 12 and, and verse uh, 
Verse 18, you've not come to a mountain of gloom and storm, referring to where the first of the covenants was made on Mount Sinai. And, and it was a place of terror. If anyone got too close, they would be struck down. But in verse 22, he says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to the mediator of a new covenant sprinkled with his own blood. And, and I just love what he's writing. He's saying, do you realize where you've come to? You've come to the very throne room of God and you've come as priests and kings. You've come to stand as those who represent God and have his own authority to fulfill. One of the things that I saw, and, and it says it in Peter, it says that now as priest, your job is to declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness. Your, your main job now in this new covenant, the old covenant was how do we get righteousness for others? New covenant is to declare the righteousness you've already been given. In the new covenant, it is to declare by faith in prayer with praise the victory that Jesus has already won. We share this so often in our times of praise that the way that we change an atmosphere is, is we don't try to say, God, do this. We declare who God already is, that he has already won the victory. We begin to proclaim and shout that our God reigns even in the darkest of circumstances, that he fights for us. And even as we do that, it creates a portal for heaven to come to earth, for, for change to be broken out in the world. Uh, I love the idea that in New Covenant prayer, it's not so much about simply trying to get God to do something, but it's about enforcing what God has already decided to do, praying in his name, agreeing with God that what he has bound in heaven when he died and rose is bound, agreeing with him that what he has loosed is loosed, healing, victory, change. When we do this, I believe with all my heart, we fulfill God's highest destiny for us as leaders. And that is to reign with Christ in heavenly place, live the life of victory he's called us to live, and then reign for Christ by bringing his kingdom to circumstances that so deeply need his presence. We come as, as kings, we come as representatives to pray and release angelic armies that are already moving. I just love how the story of, of Jacob, and I've mentioned that at Bethel, when he went from uh, that moment of feeling like a fugitive to believing he was a missionary, when he all of a sudden saw that God had commissioned him and he lived in the presence of God and that he was on an assignment, everything changed in his life. Today, just let me encourage us that the world and the nations around us are in anguish waiting for the manifestation of God's kids, daughters, and sons to realize who they are. I think it's so amazing that in Ephesians 1.18, the number one prayer request Paul mentions was not God do this or that in the earth, but that the eyes of our heart would open and we would know the power, the resources, 
the authority that we have in God, that we would see that we are authorized to take the throne room of God and to pray the power of God into the world. I believe with all my heart that if we can grasp what Christ did in his finished work, if we can see the new covenant and we will pray in faith that that new covenant is true, we will unleash revival on the earth. We will unleash God's blessing. Let me just pray right now. Lord, I just pray today as each one of us considers what it means to be a new covenant prayer. Lord, we're not doing penance. We're not just kind of throwing up prayers and, and hoping we win the lottery. God, we have been invited to come boldly and certainly convicted and convinced that we stand in Jesus' shoes with his authority. He is our high priest backing us up. He giving us his righteousness, his blessing. He giving us the keys of his name to stand and influence our world. Give us that boldness. Lord, we know, we know what James says, that a double-minded person should not expect to receive anything from God. Lord, we're not gonna be doubtful. We're gonna take who we are, our rights and privileges as sons and daughters and see your glory come to the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Pastor Dale's Leadership Podcast. It is our hope that you have been inspired in a great way. We encourage you to stay tuned for future content. May God bless you richly.